As a disclaimer, the views and comments made during this podcast are our own. Do not represent any entity that we volunteer with or employed by. Welcome back to another episode of Almost Diplomatic, the podcast where we discuss geopolitics, national security, a whole bunch of nonsense over beers. We're recording on May 25th, 2018 in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Ryan Young, and joining me today is Robert Thomas, Asia-Pacific Specialist. Kevin Truitt, Foreign Policy Whisperer. Lex, it is. No one does need to dissent. Sorry, Lex. Lex Cardone, uh, Russia, former Soviet Union expert. And Ryan, focus on counterterrorism. So, we're back in another episode, and um, we're going to talk about the Belton, Belton Road Initiative, or the new Silk Road, a couple different names for it. Um, Silk Road to Electric Boogaloo. See, that's what we're into the worst of it, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't think they call it that, Lex. Well, they should. I mean, they should, but wait long enough, they so, go through enough iterations, it's fine. So, the Chinese to the English translation. Reach out to some... Yeah. Reach out, to, uh, reach out to a DC think tank. Like, I have a new idea for you guys. Why I have the best idea. <laughs> the best. <laughs> <laughs> but um, before we jump to that, we're also going to drink our beers. And uh, today, I was just going to start mine. Man, you want to be that fast. Yeah. God. <laughs> yes, you must. <laughs> uh, we're drinking uh, Monumental IPA. Hmm. So. It's an India Pale Ale by Port City in Alexandria, so near us. It's a pretty cool brewery, actually. Um, Thank you. Thank you. We'll see how monumental it actually is. Yeah, it's totally that beer that I had left over from my housewarming party. <laughs> I mean, you had a nice little selection in that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I've been a... Yeah, it's a, old Sam Adams and Corona and Natty Bo. I've been a Port City fan for a while, so it's... Yeah, yeah, that's why I was like, oh, this will actually work very well. I don't have to go out and buy mm. something. But. Very much a standard IPA. Good hoppiness. Um, yeah, I've had some of those stuff, but I actually really like this. Yeah. I'm more more into their optimal width. Their optimal width. That's, that's, that's what I've had. Yeah. That stuff tastes like candy. <laughs> it's really good. Like beer candy. But no, this is pretty good. I'm pretty standard IPA. Do you guys, uh, so I realized actually today, uh, Last week on the 19th was uh, the first, it was the day we posted our first episode. Oh, we should have been a year? Yeah, it's been wow. a year. Man, I, I was like, maybe we should have done something. They're like, eh. Are you, are you alive when you're drinking, I guess? <laughs> yeah, well, have we really, have we really done yeah. a podcast for a year? Yeah, right? yeah. So cheers to us, I guess. Uh, like, yeah, it's been. Uh, or condolences. Condolences. Yeah. condolences. I'm sorry. Condolences to our listeners. I'm not sorry. All, all one of them. Hi, Mom. <laughs> Yeah, my twelve parents never to listen to this. Just kidding, yeah, I don't either. But um, yeah, no, nah, yeah, I got my dad to listen to one episode. My mom listened to a couple episodes, but she's like, "You guys talk too fast. I can't hear you." It was like first episode. <laughs> we didn't talk too fast, and we talked over each other too. Yeah, good. yeah, it, it, I think we've come a good distance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what As that George was. Jefferson would say. <laughs> I think that that reference is a little yeah. beyond before our times. Yeah, no. So, uh, so Belton Road. Yeah, Belton Road. Alright, Robert, <laughs> Robert Kevin, start us off. Well, the simple answer is that the topic du jour when talking about 
trade linkages between East Asia and Europe and everywhere in between is some version of reviving the old Silk Road overland trade routes, and there are about five million different names for it, depending on who you ask, what minute you ask them, and which particular paper you happen to be reading at a time. Maybe so probably again. Wrote it. Yeah. There are plenty of <laughs> careers in DC that exist to come up with different names for one yeah. And different analyses, depending I, I on who's paying their bills. I would Slightly say, different. I would say plenty of careers in Beijing too. Yeah. The, their and official documents have gone through a lot of different versions of it. Yeah. It's a bigger deal for them. And Japan and India too. And maybe elsewhere, but they don't really have think tanks. Well, so, I mean, Beijing... They just have tanks. Yeah. <laughs> Old Russian pieces of shit tanks. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry. So, I mean, the Chinese government in Beijing has, for a number of years now, had this as a big focus uh, as part of their foreign policy strategy. They've been investing a lot of money in building up infrastructure linkages to try and connect them both overland and by sea uh, to Europe and to South Asia and Central Asia. And increasingly Africa as well. So it's, yes, it's, yes. It's interesting because there's two concurrent, there's the, I don't, I think the, the overland route is called like the Belt and Road Initiative. I mean, the whole thing is the Belt and Road Initiative, but the, the over, String of Pearls. Right here. Uh, that's well, the, that's the, the Maritime sea. Silk Road, right. or the String of Pearls is the, the bases. Yeah, the bases. The, and so that's another thing we'll get to. But So, I mean, the constant is that the Chinese have been big on this as a plank of their foreign policy and have been investing a lot of money in rail linkages, ports, and everything in between. The not-so-constant part is what particular name or specific structure they are using officially or is being used by anyone else who's got competing ideas of how to do similar things, whether it be the U.S., Japan, India, yeah. what have you. There's a whole lot of reasons behind. I mean, the big two are the economic reasons. You know, the infrastructure, building up infrastructure, gas exploration in Central Asia, um, as you said, ports, rail linkages, highways, um, and then there's also the sort of battle for battle for influence, political influence mm-hmm. on both the local level and the macro level in the region. So I I would actually add a third piece to that. In addition to pure economic growth reasons domestic and international yeah. mm-hmm. uh, influence I think for China at least part of it is trying to build up infrastructure and really tighten hold on parts of the country mm-hmm. in the far west right? yeah so, places like Xinjiang and Tibet mm-hmm. in order to make sure that they are able to maintain the integrity of their borders still for internal yeah. there's still kind of a backwater right so if you, I, I, you build I up, if you build up so there, I, I don't want to I don't want to use a, a word like that that that's dismissive of those areas. The problem is the problem from the vantage point of Beijing isn't so much just these areas are less economically developed though they often are. It's that they're culturally and ethnically different in right. many cases. So they're. They're not the same people with the same language and the same behavior as people on the East Coast in a lot of cases. And so 
getting stronger economic linkages, more infrastructure, and getting more ethnic Han Chinese out there as part of the business climate is a way to tighten the connections. Because yeah. nearly, nearly all of China's trade is ocean-based. It goes and, you know, yeah. most of their... Very the, the vast majority of their major economic power is on the coast, which leaves kind of the far west sort of, you know, out of the main... Um, you know, there's just not much commerce out there. Not even just the yeah. far west, even yeah. not too far right. the coast. And right. And and so to build off that, there's actually another interesting uh, reason for this is that economically China is very much dependent, especially on uh, related to energy supplies on the Straits of Malacca and sailing through the Indian Ocean. Um, those trade routes, which uh, the Straits of Malacca are very much a choke point that uh, rivals such as India or Japan or the United States could close to China in the event of a war. And China does not produce a lot by way of major hydrocarbons. Like they don't have a lot of how yeah, big they are. Yeah, like they cannot meet their needs for oil or natural gas internally. Right. So they have to import a lot. As do some Japanese of the other countries in, in the region, yeah. Like and, and to Japan bring up a historical Korea. reference, I mean, this was a major reason for the war Japan fought with, again, Japan against the U.S., is that Japan, and, and really Japan's war in China and elsewhere was to try to gather natural resources that they did not have. I mean, not just yeah, a lot of the, the British and the Dutch colonies yeah. in Southeast Asia were very plentiful with rubber, which you need you know, for factory ball bearings tank treads, everything like that, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so anyway, but, um, so yeah, a lot of reasons. <laughs> yeah, they do it. But it is, it is ultimately geostrate- geostrategic, geopolitical, um, and the economic aspect is part of that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, what, I mean, the U.S. involvement was a lot of doing of Afghanistan, because, like, as part of our pull-out strategy, it was like, all right, we're going to do the surge, and then we're going to start withdrawing troops, and hopefully a couple of years we'll be out. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, the, the new Silk Road, or whatever you want to call it, would link up with Afghanistan and give them more access to other economies and facilitate trade, you know, so it's not just relying on their own yeah. things, or relying on Stable, money. Stabilization yeah. through prosperity. Yeah. yeah. It's not a bad strategy, it just uh, hasn't really panned it's, out. It's not a bad strategy. The problem is the way the Chinese do it is... And this is one of the big issues that the U.S. I mean, the U.S. and and, and even India and Japan, a lot of in are concerned of this one because geostrategically puts China in a stronger point or at a stronger level than it has been in the past. And as a rival, you know, you don't want to have to engage with them if they're stronger than you. Um, but I mean, it and it also stitch it literally it, or it plans to stitch. Uh, these countries economically to China, um, so they're dependent on China uh, for trade, etc. Um, but the other thing is, oh, I totally lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. But, but I mean, you talk about stitching these countries, by which I, I think we're really talking about a lot of South and Central Asia, uh, stitching them closer to China economically. That's part of why. The Chinese aren't the only ones in this game. Yeah, they already are pretty close to China. Most of those countries, but but the economically. But at the same time, there's a there's a reason why. Can you see it? Can they see it from their backyard? (laughs) Actually, a lot of cases, yes. 
But there's a reason why the Japanese, Indians, and our policymakers here in the U.S. have, to varying degrees, tried to find ways to invest in similar infrastructure across the same region so that you build the ties, but they're not purely leveraged to to China. Yeah, and um, let's not forget the former um, sort of hegemonic power in that region, Russia, which for, you know, going back decades, uh, that was sort of their backyard. They were the dominant powers. Most Central Asian countries are still extremely reliant on uh, investment from Russia, especially remittances from, um, you know, citizens living outside of their country. So, um, but now they don't have the uh, economic muscle to compete with the Chinese or even the Indians. And, and, okay, I remembered what I was going to say, and this ties, <laughs> into, this ties into that as well, sort of, is, is that a large part of what the Chinese are doing also is a political card. So, for instance, you are closer to China, I and mean, they, they, they use a lot of underhanded economic deals. Um, so if you if you are a politician who's closer to China, you're probably more likely to get a large loan from, you know, a, China, a Chinese state-owned enterprise uh, for, and Chinese state-owned enterprises will do some of the construction on this infrastructure building. And this ties these countries, the worst case in particular, which all these other, which ASEAN countries, um, so in Southeast Asia or across this whole area need to be aware of is, uh, and kind of wary of, and there has been pushback, is uh, Sri Lanka. Something like 90% of Sri Lanka's foreign debt is held by China now. Um, they're in a very difficult political position. Um, Chinese Guantanamo Bay is there. Yeah. And, well, and, and a lot of the projects they've done there are not economically successful at all. And a large part of it is to put the Sri Lankan government in debt to China. So eventually they're like, oh, well, we'll... We'll pay for it, but now we get a military base there or something along those lines. There's a lot of popular discontent with that threat, which is why successive Sri Lankan governments have sort of played footsie with the Chinese, especially relating to these ports, various strategic ports in the middle of the Indian Ocean um, that were planning to be leased to China. And I don't know if it, if it was similar, you wouldn't know this, Rob, if, if, if it was a similar deal to the Gwadar port in Pakistan, where they basically own the whole thing, or they have exclusive rights to different, uh, like a naval base, but... The Basically, they've followed. They've, the yeah, they've gone right. back. The Sri Lankans have gone back several times because there's been such discontent about. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so the um, I actually the the former president of Sri Lanka got in a lot of these deals, and they're corrupt and they have bad terms. But China makes them look favorable on first at first. So it's like, oh, this sounds like a great deal, and oh, by the way, there are these hidden costs and hidden terms, and the infrastructure doesn't work right. Um, but so they built the the. Uh, airport in Colombo, which is one of the best airports in the world, supposedly. The only problem is no one flies through Sri Lanka. The other, the other thing is the Hambantuta port, which is literally, it was built from in like a, a fishing village. Uh, there's very little actual traffic going there, so the Chinese, a Chinese company, took a ninety has the rights to that for ninety nine years now. Um, Chinese state owned. They learned from the best, the British, in their 99 So, the, yeah. so the, the only thing that made me, that's why I kind of started laughing, was uh, the Chinese deal. It really makes me, it reminds me of uh, Darth Vader in Cloud City. Okay. 
Which I'm means, altering the deal. Pray I do not alter the deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I am the father. That's not the right reference. <laughs> that's not what I thought. That also happened there. Diff- same movie, at least. But yeah, no, I, I don't think that Xi Jinping is secretly the father of that? any major Sri Lankan politician. You don't know yeah. that. Luke Skywalker <laughs> could be Sri Lankan. <laughs> anyway, Rob, but, sorry. No, Rob had a point. So, I had so <laughs> there, there are two things that have been kind of nagging the back of, of my mind as, as issues to talk about in this conversation. One of them, I think this moves into pretty easily, which is, what is the assessment uh, that each of you have on how successfully well thought out and viable over the long term are a lot of these Chinese finance projects, whether economically or politically? How well are they actually playing their cards with a lot of these infrastructure initiatives? Well, it's pretty early <clears throat> to make that judgment right now, but it's very, it seems to be very hit or miss. I mean, they've had issues building in Pakistan. They've, um, you know, they've caused a lot of local discontent. Um, it, it, you were, it's funny, earlier you were, you were mentioning this, um, you know, building airports and stuff where nobody flies through ports where nobody, there's no shipping lanes. It kind of mirrors the sort of part, the de- part of the Chinese development, internal development. The go the go cities, and that's that's entire cities with it, well, entire cities with like four or five tenants per square mile or something. That's actually largely what the Chinese are trying to do. Is it's like, well, we can't build anymore in China because like we're going to hit a ceiling, so let's build elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, you saw me and export our Chinese. The, the labor. trouble is, China, 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 China has the benefit of you know. That, in addition to many other th- factors, propelled can propel it forward. These, thir- you know, countries like Sri Lanka don't really have any um, like overhead to cover that kind of thing. Well, but when you reference things like the, the so-called ghost cities in China, I think that starts to hint at something that in the U.S. we often underrate when it comes to Chinese policy. Which is how much of it is driven by relatively local and relatively short term mm-hmm. narrow right. decision making. It's not all a master plan from the standing committee of the Politburo. Right. So wait, wait, wait. all politics is local. <laughs> yeah. So like, even what, in downtown Beijing. So what Kevin was mentioning is, or sorry, not Kevin. What Lex was mentioning. Um, the Pakistan stuff, like I deal with a good amount of work. It's been a while since I've seen much, but like, what's happening a lot of Pakistanis were, or supposedly Pakistanis were kidnapping Chinese workers and killing them. And it was it happened like, like twice, but yeah. it, it happened. A, was it, the it happened a good amount of times. Was it the Taliban that just pissed off? No, it was. It was not. That's the whole point. It was not yes. any groups. But so um, in a lot of these countries, that happens because yeah. the because the Chinese are using this. They'll send Chinese workers yeah. to do the work. Um, and I actually saw this in Kenya, a little bit different, but they were Chinese workers building the highway. It's a common and, pattern. And and that creates a lot of... South Sudan? Yeah, no, that creates a lot of... Uh, and there have been places like, I think, Kazakhstan, um, Indonesia and Malaysia. There's Mostly Indonesia has been, like, very strong anti-Chinese sentiment because they they see... And, and places where, where they're, like in Malaysia, where there are actually large Chinese, ethnically Chinese populations... It, it poses a challenge for them because 
uh, the the like melee population. Oh, they say like, oh well, China's importing their their workers and they're taking our jobs. It's like in America, it's like oh they're taking our jobs, but this is actually a case where they're actually taking the jobs. Or or if they're not, there's a perception, and yeah. a lot of these places people riot when they. So they're basic. So they're basically Paris taxi drivers, <laughs> lighting Ubers on fire. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's so, happened that often. <laughs> Just like every other protest. Okay. Every, every other general strike. Yeah. So like every day. <laughs> National pastime in France is, is um, protesting. Striking uh, statues. Just we strike. Travesty. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so Kevin, as you're talking about backlash, one of the countries that you mentioned briefly was Kazakhstan. That's actually kind of the next major thing that I was interested in getting people's thoughts on. When you look at certain countries like Kazakhstan, you have a few that are in interesting positions where they've got multiple people to uh, to try and play off of. So, so like the Kazakhs, for example, from my understanding, have spent a lot of time and effort trying to navigate a sort of middle course between the Chinese and the Russians, mm-hmm. and to some extent even the U.S., <laughs> in order to get as mm-hmm. as much as they can for their own development and their own needs while maintaining their autonomy. What if what have all of you seen with the them or other countries trying to play these balancing acts and how they've navigated that? So real quick, I there's actually a lot of talk in Japan about posing. Sort of, because Japan has its own. Japan and India have both tried to build their own sort of concurrent, which could work with One Belt and Road if it's done, you know, above the table instead of under the table, like a lot of what's been going on. Um, what they and what the U.S. or some policy circles in the U.S. Ha- would like to do with India, Japan, and the U and the U.S. is not so much try to beat out China, but to by engaging, by creating your own sort of program, uh, and to to bid, getting a bidding war with some of these Chinese companies, it forces them to improve the quality of infrastructure and to give sort of a competition to give a lot of these countries the choice of saying, well, you know, I'm going to choose the Chinese project, but this American and Japanese project also looked good. Like, uh, who's going to give me a better deal? And so, and so, a lot of what this is one of the big things that the U.S. should be doing. I mean, this administration isn't very good on trade. Art of the deal, Kevin. Yeah, but going back to Central Asia, like, that's even, you know, big country, relatively big countries like Kazakhstan are doing it and small countries like Kyrgyzstan, um, they've, you know, gone back and forth with, I mean, they've been playing this game for a while, kind of, you know, when you're between uh, three, four great powers, you know, you have to just navigate a very difficult um but at the same time, it also puts you in a better spot because you can play them off each exactly. other and get the best deal. And yeah. I think that's or just if, yeah. if you play it, if right. you play it right, if you play it right, you can get find yourself but squashed. But so yeah, far, you can I, get steamrolled great easily as well. Yeah, so far, I've not really seen any of them really do that very well. Maybe Kazakhstan because they have mostly because they have to deal with the U.S. and Russia a lot because of the and even China because of their uh, launch pad. Baikonur. Yeah, so that, that's the, the, the which the the, the or the space, a lot of space stuff is launched from there in Kazakhstan, because uh, we can't we can't do it on our own anymore except unless you're SpaceX. We can't do it in the U.S. because why would you do that? So the, I mean I, I think there's 
I'm not mad. <laughs> like, <different> jobs. <laughs> no, we're just stupid. But yeah, I, sorry. I think part of the part of the question there is an actual, just kind of pure quality of governance issue. I think mm-hmm. countries that have more competent leadership, by <laughs> default, tend to be better at navigating these kinds of tricky balancing acts. And Lex, maybe you have some insight on this, but my kind of more distant read has been that certain countries in Central Asia have done a much better job than others at balancing the Chinese and the Russians just by dint of knowing what they're doing better. Yeah, I would definitely put Kyrgyzstan in that uh, of the category of countries that are doing reasonably well. Um, also moderately democratic. Yeah, they're kind of backsliding a little bit, but everyone's ever yeah. So in terms of Asia, most of them, except for, you know, I've had the same yeah. person be president or prime minister for how many years? Except for the Uzbekistan, where that guy died like a couple years yeah. ago. Yeah, well, yeah, about, like Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, they're kind of, um, they're still. I mean, they've tried to play it, but they're still. There's very, elections, very much, quote quote unquote. They're still very much in the Russian orbit. And the yeah. other the so, other problem yeah. with. And not just the stands, but the Southeast Asian countries, is when that aren't democracies, is when the Chinese come, a lot of times they'll give these deal, sweet deals for certain corrupt ruling elite or ruling elite that are like, oh, well, my company's going to benefit from this and I'll make a shit ton of money. But the country as a whole probably won't. Um, and so that's, that's an issue where the Chinese deals oftentimes exploit corrupt elites or local elites that stand to benefit but not the country as a whole or the people, you know. And and that is that's one of the big problems with a lot of these changes. Okay, so they're always so short term in, in, in their operations everywhere, even in Africa, which is because you think is their overall strategy to like basically not not circumvent the US, but basically, you know, to rise up, be better, be you know, all that kind of stuff. And they do all this really short term stuff outside of the country which will it could backfire poorly if they, I mean, but it hasn't really yet. Well, I, I mean, it's it's often caused them to punch below the weight that they actually could with the resources that they have at their disposal. I mean, like, like I said, we often think of Chinese leadership as being a bastion of mastermind, long-term strategic thinking, when they have just as many people and just as many structures subject to more short-term incentives and biases as anyone else. What about the president for life? Well, yeah, a large, part of, <laughs> large part of that is to sort of institutionalize the power that's been concentrated in him because they don't, or he doesn't want, I and mean, this is the way most authoritarians come to It's like, well, this, I have the, vision, the correct vision and Everyone else, you know, could screw it up, so I need to stay in Well, that kind of, like, the, 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 the thing that they, they have going point. for them in that regard, I mean, that kind of, you know, semi-authoritarian... There's no semi Yeah, yeah I mean, with election or I guess China doesn't have elections, but, like, the kind of illiberal democracy, state capitalism kind of, you know, um, model that has been developing is already pretty prominent yeah. in Central Asia. It, it's kind of the natural state of affairs are there, so politically yeah, they, don't, they, they don't seem to have much work to do. They, I feel they, like they align better. Right. I feel like there's a, a lot of conflation between state capitalism and illiberal democracy and authoritarianism. I think in practice those are actually very distinct things that mix or don't mix in a lot of different ways from country to country. 
Yeah, so I think ultimately <laughs> the... All right, fine then. We'll pause again. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, we usually... <laughs> if you're having this much of a fuck-up, I'm going to take a leak. <laughs> all right. Um, so that I'm not pacing. So. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. So, in large part, domestic issues and politically domestic Chinese concerns are driving a lot of this. And another concern, the security concern, which I addressed earlier, has played out in large part through the Maritime Silk Road, or that China's selective strategic investment in places in the Indian Ocean. Um, Back as early as the 2000s, I think it was CSIS, don't quote me on this, it may have been someone else, came up with the the Stern Pearl strategy, which Lex also mentioned, which was, or was Rand. Uh, one of them, um, but the 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 string of pearl strategy, which saw China, which envisioned China establishing a number of maritime bases across the Indian Ocean to essentially constrain India, because China and India have one fought wars against each other in the last fifty years, uh, and two are both land major land rivals right now, but are increasingly becoming major maritime rivals. Sort of, there's a... So the thing is, right now, the Chinese Navy and, and the Indian Navy it's are... It's not compared. Indian Navy is, a, I think, it's superior to the Navy. I mean, like, they, they have, I mean, they have more... stuff's more recent, and also, they've had a lot more practice. Yeah. Actual operations. To yeah. some extent, but I think I think Chinese Navy's getting better. It's fun in Pakistan, well, I mean, more like counter piracy, like the whole Somalia shit, and because Indian Indian Navy China also over there. Does that, though. Well, not as, Indian Navy basically. There's a pirate ship, traverse, boom, gone. Yeah, but, <laughs> but it was uh, effective. Well, the Indians have more experience with blue water naval operations yeah. at this point. That Thank takes you. time. Thank you, Brian. And and look, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I mean, it takes a lot of time and practice to get good at because, like a lot of things in life, it's. Complicated and hard and and, and easily, especially carrier operations and integrating carriers. Oh yeah, that's that's hugely complicated, tactically and technologically. This was old Ukrainian beater. Well, the the (laughs) Indian is like the the thrift store. The artisans. (laughs) Oh, it was because you can just like go. Oh, you want aircraft carrier? Here's aircraft carrier. Can 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 we? Yeah, Russian surplus. (laughs) French. Can can we please refer to six cases of vodka? Can we please refer to China's first carrier as? The artist formerly known as the Voryag. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the tugboat formerly. Well, didn't they? Didn't they just uh, the Florida Casino put to water their? Yeah, didn't they just put to water their second? Their initially built. No, no. Or they're, or they're, 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 they're building it yeah. another year or two. They're shooting for I think it's, six. I had, I'd six. have to double check. I think they've done some. Of the earlier testing, it's not fully no, no ready for deployment, but it's but it's, it's, but it's not exactly in the early stage. No, it's it's it's. I'm it's glad that you thought of that because I was thinking that. No, what did you say? I said, but I'm like, but it's not a fully operational battle station. Uh, two Star Wars references in one wow. episode. Well, oh, two appropriate ones, <laughs> and then <laughs> Luca and your father. <laughs> yes, that was also <laughs> something like that. Uh, but that's the, I mean, the Indians have more experience with it, Why but the Chinese, the Chinese want to contest it. And, and, and going back to the Straits of Malacca, the Indians have two naval bases on two islands, yeah. 
right near the straits. And so this is one of the big challenges for China economically as well as strategically. Uh, interestingly, China has made great inroads with investment with the Maldives, which is, has traditionally been, I mean, China helped, or uh, uh, India helped uh, prevent coups against the former ruler there. Uh, so, so I got something for that. It was, uh, I think it was earlier this year, uh, Maldives, like, for oh, a yeah. country with not a huge population, a lot of political upheaval. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, I was going to say, like, I, I keep reading about coups there. Like, yeah. Like, every few years. And the Indian, Indian, it was, like, ready to go in. Like, the Indian was ready to, like, incur, make incursion on the island. Because I know a couple of my friends are doing their honeymoon there. I was like, I'll let you know if it, uh... Well, you know why, right? Because the Chinese have invested enormously in the, the Yamin, the president, is pretty much in the Chinese pocket. And the Indians know it. That is that is a strategic concern for yeah. them. One, because that's long been within their sphere of influence, and there are a lot of ties with, with the country. And two, because China eventually, you know, eventually China's going to turn a lot of these investment projects by state-owned enterprises into... Military projects. Are, yeah. are there major ports in the Maldives? I, my my understanding of the country that's basically like twenty years before the sea levels take the, like completely overwhelm the country. Well, to be, twenty twenty is generous. Hey, to see what happened in the South China Sea, though. I mean, China. Yeah, was, I was about true. to say, to be fair, the Chinese have plenty of experience with. They don't have experience with water. Yeah, they don't have experience with water navy operations, but dumping sand. Well, sand, concrete, all kinds of it. It's funny, it's funny, it's, it's funny the Maldives because like I would joke, I was joking people like it's like oh you know it's soon to be become a south southern India. <laughs> it's a great great honeymoon destination with your you know exciting yeah. street protests and coups every <laughs> every six months. If you actually look at it, it's like pretty spread out too. Yeah, it's, it's really it's a whole it's a whole odd thing. Yeah, it's it's a just, big it, it just kind of just there. And and a lot of this also. Uh, goes beyond the Maldives. You look at places like Mauritius, the Comoros Islands. Like India has concerns there uh, for the same reasons, because Chinese investment is slowly creeping in, um, yeah. and China's Chinese efforts, such as the creeping, such as the banks, creeping Sharia. No, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it'll get you. Creeping, <sighs> creeping Chinese investment. Creeping, creeping Xi <laughs> is there uh, Xi Xi Jinping thought? Was, was, was that, that's the new thing. Yeah, about, right? the, they like turned it. It's the first time since Deng Xiaoping. And and there and and, and and the the universities are teaching it because it's a, it's kind of like cult of personality. Anyway, <laughs> they got, they they, got, they banned Winnie the Pooh in uh <laughs> in China because. They're using them to basically in place of Xi Jinping. Yeah. 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 <laughs> wait, 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 explain this. Is <laughs> We're getting off topic. But no, yeah. but this is hilarious. Um, no, yeah. It was, Chinese social media has its own. Yeah, it was. Uh, that's that's an episode. Of that's episode in itself. But like, you know, um, they were basically, like, you know, people like wanting democracy, that kind of stuff. Whatever other opposition movements were basically using Winnie the Pooh in place of Xi Jinping and like. Ads or like the memes, memes. why the like, memes? Just, just like because I, I don't know, I don't okay. really know. Well, to be fair, Winnie the Pooh is a capitalist infiltrator. We all know that's that. True. British Imperial. Yeah, just hoarding honey. That's such a yeah. Come on. We wouldn't share. With I think the the official term is capitalist rotor. Rotor. That's that's in the uh, official communist propagandistic jargon. Capitalist rotor. What does that mean? Does it spin real quick? I don't really know. 
house. Anyway, back to this. Yeah. So, like Dotar. So, what? What are the? If say if it was you know the actual road is rebuilt, what kind of um, resources or products are moved to that? So, I mean, th- I think one thing that is true of both the history of the Silk Road routes and of current infrastructure projects is it's not one fixed thing. What you're talking about is a a web, a network of different bits of infrastructure, different users, different people finding different ways at different times to make use of these things for commerce, for politics, what have you. It's not like I-95, a single physical strip of asphalt running down the eastern seaboard of the United States. Well, for that's, or for their sake, let's hope not. Yeah, yeah there's, there's that. <laughs> Otherwise, God save them all. And if you uh, go to the right time, it's fine. I didn't tell yeah, I like said never. There's tell no us, right I time. I didn't tell ISC to hear in 12 hours yeah. and 7 minutes. I just want to spend the innocent what, people of what, Asia from What the ancient traffic. gods did you sacrifice innocent souls to for that? All of them? <laughs> just scatter shot. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I go for whatever. Yeah. <laughs> old gods. One of them will work. <laughs> the old gods are the new gods. Lord <laughs> White. Yeah, I mean, have you heard of him? <laughs> He's pretty big now. He's kind of big now. But I mean, but really though, I mean, the, these things are so it's, are it's, not one actual physical line of transportation. They're they're webs and patterns. Yeah, I mean, it's just, but you're looking to see, like, will there be more silk and cinnamon and things of that kind of sort, or... All the old-timey stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Silks or and spices and... Sugar and spice and everything. Yeah. Sugar, tobacco. And some chemical yeah. X. Chemical X. How oh, good are we? Yeah, he didn't. Okay. But yeah, no, I th- I, there's going to be a lot. That, that Anytime I don't get a reference, I assume it's Expanse or something. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, what is it? It, it's a it's Powerpuff a, Girls. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you went full blown nineties cartoon. Good times, man. Oh did you, wow! Did you just die of a childhood? No, I watched Nickelodeon. Oh. Essentially, Xi Jinping is Mojo <laughs> Jojo. I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> no. Um, uh, please say something logical after this. Well, the other thing is. We didn't talk about it, but the One Belt One Road has also looked at places like Greece and Eastern Europe and Turkey, to some extent, as places for investment. Because this is a long-term attached, you know, the economic strength of Europe to the economic strength of China and build everything in between. So it's essentially building a bridge, but like building everything up there and sort of making... Greece great again? Maybe he wants to get rid of the I don't think so. But I have one. So so Europe and China are sort of the poles, but separately this this goes to the I think it's was it uh, Kin Kinder? The not Kinder, um McKinder. Uh, the, the the world island or the the land the Eurasian landmass uh, versus the the spikeman which he talks about the littorals and connections there. So essentially China, bear with me, China, China wants to link <laughs> Europe and itself through 
the Eurasian landmass and to mitigate sort of the liberal countries, which which country would that which major country is not attached to the Eurasian landmass? Paraguay, Mexico, the United States, <laughs> and Japan, and yeah. Japan. Yeah. So that's I mean that's the other. Which, of course, perhaps raises reasons why the Japanese would have every incentive to shoehorn their way into these infrastructure projects to avoid and they've it tried. being used against them. And there's been a lot of opportunity for the U.S., India, and Japan to sort of work together, not to counter China full bore, but to provide alternatives, to provide stake, more high... Stake, stake our own places yeah. in the same webs of infrastructure. And I think I think Japan's initiative itself like lends credence to what they want to do. Is it something like, something about high-end or high end infrastructure or like high-quality infrastructure projects? Um, so it's like, we can't compete with China to build little stuff, but we can build better stuff. Um, the problem is, right now, it doesn't really seem like this administration in the U.S. has... And they they've talked a lot about it. A lot of a lot of the NSC or the former NSC people now were interested in it, but they seem the president and a large number of his cadre now seem just dismissive of because they don't they're not interested in international trade. They want to they're not they're not interested in anything. I guess like but they've really it's like it's really simplistic motherfuckers. Like it's just it, it can't go more than like. What what is my base want? I'll kind of do that and say that I did it, and then I'd move on. Like I'm not I'm not trying to go after the domestic ship, but like it, it's not going to happen on the current administration. Like, for but like yeah, anything, anything anything significant is not going to happen. And and a lot of these people, you know, Republicans were talking about the the Indo Pacific and sort of building a, a, and then and then TPP got dropped, which was a big idea, and then sort of well, it got dropped in the sense that the U.S. no longer a part of it, and then. <laughs> Increasingly rejuvenated without was there, us. Was there like a day that they were talking about getting back into? Oh, they're still talking about it, but you know, <laughs> it's like literally, it was it was one, it was like tweet. Two, it, no, it was two or three days, aka one scarabushi. No, 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 no. I think it's eleven days. Or no, no. days scarabushi is, oh. is ten to eleven because that's why I did oh, okay. the Bangkok trip. Yeah, the, the proper. Okay, it's, it's it's half of a scarabushi. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> Proper name for that unit of time is not his full name. It's just the shortened version of a mooch. Okay, a mooch. A mooch is ten days. A mooch is also like a long fortnight. <laughs> ah yes. The twirls, twirls. <laughs> the British are coming. The British are coming. They have no words. But I mean, I have a lot of words. Oh god. But no, I think that's the problem. Is the U.S. isn't interested in this. Japan can't really do it alone. India and Japan have been at odds, and China has played on sort of their their own disagreements to establish itself to so essentially everyone has problems who has the fewest problems and has the best opportunity from the situation China China probably yeah it's, it's theirs to lose really yeah we'll this see point. I, I, I mean think, any... I think near term that's true yeah yeah I agree. medium term We'll see how well they keep it together because they've had a lot of problems yeah. with how they've approached this whole process themselves, mm-hmm. and we'll have to see how they navigate that and how other countries that have a stake in this navigate it as well. All right. Well, uh, we're kind of running on towards the end, so I have one last question, everybody. What would you call the new Silk Road? <laughs> 
What would your name be for the initiative? Well, I think uh, Lex already had the Silk Road 2 electric boogaloo at some point earlier in the conversation. You can give another answer. You go ahead and give yours, and then we're going to go around. <laughs> You're just tapping all of my creative juices right now. Two answers. Of, all right. <laughs> I mean, what do we got, Rob? Frankly, I give zero shits about the name because there have been five of them a minute over the last several years anyway. I'm more interested in what the actual infrastructure is than what anyone calls it, because they'll call it something different five minutes later anyway. I would say it is <clears throat> China's plot to Dr. Evil take <laughs> over the world. Initiative. <laughs> Official initiative. Okay, I, don't, I also don't really care about the name as long as it is one of those, what are the, those like word where you read somebody's name and it's like, you know, Rob... You know, or uh, like whatever. You, you Where are you going with this? <laughs> oh, like a like an anagram, an, an anagram, or like something, some crazy acronym that says like meat pot, like just something. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> just like, uh, like as long as, as, as did someone not. slip something into your beer, <laughs> it does taste kind of funny. No, but uh, yeah, as long yeah, as there's just, just some crazy like, acronym behind it, so that DC wonks and all those. Idiots down in Foggy Bottom will, uh, you know, have the time of their lives to cipher. Don't them. don't be mean. They are suffering enough right now. That's true. Eh. Make State Department great again. What's what's that? That's a good question. <laughs> it's the not DOD. Yeah. Well, my answer would obviously be uh, Ryan's Imperial Imperial Road. Ryan's Imperial Road. Yeah. R I R. Yeah. Rear. Yeah. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> it's not good. Anyway. <laughs> It's not good. I accept that. I don't care. Uh, I came up with this question about ten minutes into the episode. I was like, "Oh, I said to the end for like last final question." Like, haha. And I was like, "I've come." We, no, the three of us let you down big time. You I let. I let myself. I. No, you guys look funny compared to me. I mean, Jesus. But anyway, that was almost dramatic. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, one year anniversary. Woo! Onward and upward. And if I don't see you later, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Hey, that movie's on Netflix now. <laughs>